I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Davina, a 33-year-old transgender woman who describes herself as white, Jewish, queer, polyamorous, and actively dating. This is an extra long episode because Davina and I got so involved in our conversation that we didn't notice that two hours had passed. So I've packed a ton into this episode, Plus, there's even more extras than usual over at Patreon for this episode. And some of the extras are available to everyone, including people who are not currently patrons. You can find all of that at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And I'll give you more information at the break. I'm so pleased to introduce Davina. I am so excited to introduce you today to one of my dear friends, Davina. Uh, she has been one of the amazing people who has welcomed me to Portland and who has made my time here so warm and lovely. And I love her. <laughs> and she is also someone who I have learned a lot from because prior to landing in Portland, I was not aware of knowing any trans folks, and I have had the opportunity to ask a lot of questions, and she has been incredibly generous with answering those questions. So before we get started today, I want to make it clear that I am going to ask Davina some questions that we do not ask <laughs> in general everyday life. I mean, that's true with all of our interviews. But um, it's really important to know that there are some things that it's just not okay to ask trans people without their previous consent to having them just like, we are not going to walk up to a cisgender woman and say, Hey, what's going on in your pants? <laughs> we don't do that with trans women either. <laughs> so Davina, thank you so much for being here and for being willing to do this interview. You're very, very welcome. I'm very excited. <laughs> so um, let's start at the beginning. How did you discover the idea of, and I'm going to use the word sex in this situation, completely separate from gender. How did you first discover the idea of sex? Probably around middle school. I remember having a, quote, girlfriend when I was five uh, in kindergarten. That was technically my first kiss. But in terms of sexuality or sex, sexual desire, I would say around 11 and 12. And it was with both boys and girls at the time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting, especially. I My first real girlfriend was when I was 12. And when I first started to feel like making out with her and wanting to do things with her. And around the same time, actually maybe a little before also, I would play slash explore with some of my uh, friends who were boys. Hmm. And that was always very, I mean, that was very shameful. Kept that a secret. No one knew until I think college is when I started like opening up to people about it. Who instigated those explorations? Do you remember? That is a great question. 
I have the memory of me instigating a couple times, though I don't remember who started it off. But at this point, I mean, I had no concept of like a gender identity or anything. And so I just knew that as a young boy doing that was gay, but I didn't really identify in that way, but I liked playing around with them, but I didn't really think about it outside of those interactions. Hmm. So when you started dating and fooling around with girls, did it feel different to you than when you were fooling around and exploring with boys? Oh, yeah. With girls, there was an emotional component that was not present. I did not feel at all with boys, not only towards, but from as well. So it really felt like it was just about, we knew that these things, we knew that like touching each other in this way or using our mouths on each other in this way felt really good. And we like feeling really good. And that was it. Hmm. Um, And it didn't go past like maybe 13 or so. So really it was relegated to maybe one or two years. And how far did you go in those explorations? Kind of interesting to think about now. I guess I gave my first blowjob then and received as well. Um, Not to orgasm, Mm -hmm. um, but just like putting my mouth around a cock, which weird. I never actually considered it um, until now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it went as far as that and interesting. And also some, I'll call it an attempt at anal penetrative sex. Really? I don't know. I can't really remember if anything. We had no idea what we were doing. (laughs) We just knew that like putting things places felt good. Uh Um, But I very much remember both penetrate or like at least attempting to penetrate and be penetrated um, anally. When you started fooling around with girls... Did you go as far with them? What what were those interactions? No, I wanted to. Um, but I didn't because she didn't want to uh, with my kind of first girlfriend. And it was kind of good early lessons in learning consent and learning that like, just because you want something doesn't mean it's going to happen or should happen, or has any right to happen. So with girls, it actually happened much slower. And I think that was primarily just because of the girls that I was with who wanted to take things much slower. Because I knew I felt either, I don't know if I felt ready, but I felt like I wanted to um, move in that direction. So like my first... Um, like interacting with a vagina for the first time wasn't until I was 16, I guess. And I honestly cannot even remember when I received my first blowjob from a girl. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it was around the same like time, um, like 16 ish, 17. And did you get the same kind of pleasure from that that you had gotten in your earlier explorations? Um, yeah, I mean, more, I think, just because I was starting to figure out how things worked and learn about this stuff. Um, and around that same time, oh, God, this makes you sound and feel so old. The <laughs> internet was starting to like really become a thing. <laughs> Oh, saying that sentence hurts <laughs> so badly. So the internet was becoming a thing. And because humanity and patriarchy, just humanity in general, as soon as some new medium came into existence, oh, there was a new way to have sex and sexy things. Um, 
So I remember very vividly my first time coming while masturbating, looking at, at the time, still images, uh, like, of porn online and being very, like, confused of, like, what is happening to my body? <laughs> and there are things shooting out and what? Um, and, like, I was learning stuff in school, but sex ed in school is garbage, um, especially L.A. public school where I grew up. So by the time I was 15, 16, 17, was fooling around more, actually getting a handle of, like, what things do and how things work. Uh, it definitely felt a whole lot better than when I was 11 and 12 and had no clue whatsoever. <laughs> what kinds of porn images were you choosing to look at? Um, that's a good question. It was women for sure. Um, like girl on girl? Not necessarily. Sometimes just like essentially like Playboy, but online. So okay. just images of naked women. Mm-hmm. And I remember wanting it to find my dad actually had to sit me down and tell me that this was wrong and explain everything to me. Cause I wanted to find pictures of girls who are my age. Oh, because I was right. A young teenager. And like, it felt weird looking at pictures of, you know, women who were 20, 30 years older than I was. So I was like, well, I want to like my age. And my dad had explained to me why that was a terrible, terrible thing that existed in the world. And like, to not, uh, like find that and not use that. Um, which was a really good lesson and really just spoke to how shame, relatively shame free. My parents were around sex. Like it wasn't, how you're, oh my God, you're looking at naked women. It was, no, that's fine. And I understand that, but not those naked women because mm-hmm. those aren't women and that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I would look at like heterosexual sex, but there was always something about it that wasn't that something I didn't like about it, mm-hmm. which took me years to figure out what the hell that was all about. <laughs> And we will get there. <laughs> um, but first, I want to go back. You were mentioning masturbation and that first experience of ejaculating. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy masturbation right from the beginning? Or uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, I mean, it was fun. It felt good. There was, again, something about it that kind of, like, gnawed at me from the very back recesses of my mind. But I had no idea what it was. Let's go back and talk about your parents a little bit. You said that they were very open. They assumed my straightness as a young boy growing up, but they never said anything. If I remember, which my memory has been shown to be false many times, (laughs) um, at one point during the terribly awkward experiences of parents talking to you about sex, having them say to me, you know, whoever you like is fine. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And to be fair, if you're looking at pictures of young women on the internet, it would be real mm-hmm. realistic to for them to assume that that's what you're into and you look like a boy. So. Right. Yeah, they had no reason really to, you know, quote, suspect anything other than I was a cisgender heterosexual boy. Mm-hmm. Though it was never that I had to be a certain way. They never enforced any norms on me, which was great. And also I kind of have come to realize not so great in other aspects. Um, like what? In that I think me realizing my gender identity took far longer because there was nothing for me to rebel against. Oh, that's interesting. So many of the stories that I have encountered in the trans community, a lot of them have to do with the really shitty circumstances of having parents who are unsupportive and who are enforcing various gender norms. And that enforcement pushes that, at first, unconscious knowledge of one's gender into the, the conscious brain. You know, when you are 
being told you have to wear a suit, you have to wear a dress, you have to look like this, and something in you doesn't want to, when you're confronted with it, it it fights back, it pushes back. Mm -hmm. I never had that. My parents were always really open. Um, my dad was someone who was not stereotypically masculine in a lot of ways. He was in some and very much not in others. Loved shopping, loved fashion, shoes, jewelry, um, all these things that society says are feminine, which is garbage in another sense as well. Um, his favorite color was purple. Like there was so much about him that was feminine so anything about me that was feminine, I just was like, oh, I'm like my dad. Mm -hmm. So even though it was wonderful being raised in that environment, I think that just kind of helped my brain suppress my identity further because I was able to find acceptable explanations yeah. for why I felt the way I did. Yeah. What was it like for something like gym class and having to be in the locker room with the other boys? What was that experience like for you? I hated it. I hated the locker room so much. I hated changing in the locker room. I hated being in the locker room. I didn't like talking with other boys in the locker room. I didn't like being in there. I didn't like the smell. I didn't like the the feeling of just being around all these boys being boys and when you're in a locker room with a whole bunch of boys in middle school and everyone's at varying stages of puberty there's testosterone just flying around um at least that's what it feels like i don't know about the science since i'm not a biologist <laughs> um but it's what it feels like and just being in that environment was so anathema to who I was and how I saw myself. I had very close guy friends in elementary school and middle school, but I far more related to and wanted to spend time with the girls. I just liked being around girls more than boys. And it wasn't a sexual thing or a like wanting to date them thing though that is a very confusing thing for trans women who are attracted to women because it's most of our lives we kind of look at women and go, do I want to fuck you or be you? <laughs> and then you realize, oh, it's both. Um, but I just liked being around girls better. I liked the, to get kind of woo-woo for a second. Like I liked the energy. It just felt more natural. It felt more in sync with me. Being at camp summer camps and being in the boys tents and just boys soccer teams all those spaces i felt varying levels of discomfort that i essentially just pushed away explained as i was more sensitive i was more emotional so let's talk about your realizing that you were trans and i think probably we need to uh, make a quick pit stop at the fact that you were married to a woman yep. at the time. So can you talk about that experience? I can. So for a long time, feminine stuff was relegated to I'm like my dad or I'm just different. Um, in college, I started playing around with makeup and eye, well, makeup, eyeliner, black eyeliner, uh, and nail polish, not black nail polish because I wasn't goth. <laughs> but dark colors, um, dark blues and greens and reds. And I was on the creative and performing arts floor of my dorm. So, cause I'm a theater kid. So again, I just chalked it up to, oh, I'm wearing eyeliner nail polish cause I'm a theater kid. That's what we do. You know, we're so dramatic. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved wearing nail polish and eyeliner. Again, didn't know why, but I loved it. And at some point before I met my ex-wife, I stopped. And I don't remember why. Life kind of had a lot of bumps in college. And perhaps it was one of those bumps that just kind of put that stuff to the side. But for whatever reason, when I met her, I was presenting 100% male. 
no eyeliner, no nail polish, no nothing. Um, besides, I had like, I think one or two earrings and like my cartilage and one of my earlobes. And I, you know, groomed myself because that's apparently, I was called metrosexual in like middle school and high school, which again is just a weird like, oh my God, you're a guy and you're like taking care of yourself. You must be weird. And like, no, it's hygiene and like grooming. <laughs> like, why is this a weird thing? But whatever. So we met, we really like fell in love really quick and really hard. Um, and things moved pretty rapidly and life was good, <laughs> um, to a point. I don't remember when I started, but at some point I expressed the desire to wear nail polish again. And she did not like it. You know, I came to learn eventually like her, while she is someone who is extremely like open and inclusive and accepting and warm and loving and all those good things, her personal preferences are pretty normative. You know, they're very cis-normative, very heteronormative. Um, and so the idea of dating and then eventually of being married to a guy who was wearing nail polish, it just it wasn't someone that she was attracted to. And so I'd bring up the desire, and we'd fight about it, and then I would drop it. And this was before you were married? Before I was married, and uh, also while we were married. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we, I must have brought it up, I don't know, somewhere between every six and 12 months, just it'd come up, uh, especially during either Halloween or the Jewish holiday of Purim, um, which is in the springtime and, you know, you dress up during that holiday. So I kind of use those as excuses to be able to wear <laughs> nail polish and then would ask, like, so what about if I did this when it wasn't this holiday? And then we'd fight and I'd drop it. And it was to the point that we went into therapy twice um, during our relationship. We were together for about a little over 10 years. Um, and both times that we were in couples counseling, and even before when I was just in therapy myself, I legitimately did not know why I kept bringing it up. Because I knew I didn't want to hurt her. I didn't want to pick fights with her. And yet it was, this desire was so strong that every time I tried to push it away, it just kept coming back. And so finally, in 2016, summer of 2016, I was at some Jewish social justice thing as I want to do. And... We were with this group uh, who was fighting for a $15 minimum wage. And this conference was in D.C. And so we were going to go protest at the Senate cafeteria because, sure. Um, (laughs) One of the guys who was part of this group, and I use guy because that's what he looked like. But I have no idea about his gender identity. All I knew is that he was wearing blue nail polish. And I saw this man wearing blue nail polish. And maybe he was genderqueer. Maybe he was gender fluid. Maybe he was trans himself. And he was starting to express himself. Maybe he just liked nail polish. Or maybe the fact that uh, their organization all wore blue shirts had something to do with the fact he was wearing blue nail polish. But whatever the reason was, I saw it. And this yearning that I hadn't felt before just came out. I I can't even think of a an English word or a Hebrew word for that matter, strong enough to indicate the level of desire that I had. Hmm. It was almost biological. It was almost like your body's need for food, water, and oxygen. Like something about my existence needed to have that. And I realized, okay, this nail polish thing... It, it's deep. It's way deeper than I thought. And I have to figure it out. And I think at that point I knew, but was not ready to admit it. Mm. So I got home and there was other issues. We'd kind of just become platonic at that point. We were really more like best friends who loved each other and were living together. 
uh, but that's not really a marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and our sex life was not really great. That's a, that's a whole thing too about my sexual exploration. And we went into couples counseling. I was able to finally say, I'm not cis. I know that, but I don't know what I am. That plus the state of our relationship prompted me to ask for a divorce, which she agreed to and agreed with, um, and was happy that I said it because she told me she never would have, but thought it was the right decision. And then I continued exploring with the couples counselor who just so happened to be a specialist in gender counseling Wow. As well. Uh-huh. Um, it, she was just like the cheapest, closest person to where we lived. And wow. she was a queer woman who worked f- a lot with the LGBTQ community, specifically with the T community. <laughs> it's just like, I don't really believe in signs, but yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, after months of being in therapy with her, finally... Her getting to the point of asking me, okay. Uh, she saw me going back and forth with this Googling gender versus trans every day and the pain I was in. And she said, we're going to do an exercise. I want you to close your eyes. Okay. And just kind of relax. Okay. And uh, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Don't think about it. Just answer. I was like, Okay. If you could wake up tomorrow as anything, what would it be? And without a second of hesitation, I said a woman. Mm. And then I remember pausing and going, yeah, like, I don't want to put on a wig or makeup or jewelry or clothes to be something. I want to wake up in the morning and and externally feel like a woman. Mm. Followed by another pause, followed by, holy shit, I'm trans. <laughs> followed by the realization of, okay, my life's over, and like everything's going to change now. And any thought I had at how life was going to proceed from then on out was good, gone. Mm. It was all new uncharted territory from that moment on. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. How long did it take you to actually begin uh, interfacing with the medical community (laughs) around this? Or in other words, I think that you went on hormones was the first thing Mm -hmm. you did, right? Yeah. So um, there's a distinction to be made between transitioning and medically transitioning. 
uh, and that many trans people don't medically transition for one reason or another. Could be that their body can't. Could be that they just don't want to. There are risks in things. Uh, for instance, when you go on hormones, uh, it sterilizes you. So within like four or five months of hormone treat, starting hormone treatment, I was sterile. I want to pause here for a second um, to say that that is not the case going the other direction that for females transitioning to female bodied people transitioning to male, they are still able to get pregnant after hormones. Correct. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For, uh, for trans women, um, the taking of estrogen or estradiol as the the compound or the component of estrogen that we take is um, within about four or five months, chemically sterile. Within about like three months, you're sterile, but you can stop and return your virility. Oh. Uh, once it passes, like I think it's five months or there's some amount of time it passes, you are permanently sterile. Uh, which for me was fine. I didn't care. Um, it was about a month and a half from coming out to starting hormones. Wow. Which some, I have friends who realized they were trans in their teens and didn't start hormones until they were in their, you know, early 20s. Um, yeah, I did it within like a month, month and a half. Um, and so how quickly did you start feeling effects from the hormones? A few months, like three, four months. The first effect was my brain. It felt, the best way I can describe it is my brain felt right. Mm. I have no idea about the science of it. But the way I understand it, at least, is basically my brain was finally getting the right fuel. Yeah. And it just, my, I just felt right. I felt right in my head, even though there was nothing physical happening to me yet. That my skin hadn't started to transform. Uh, my body hair hadn't really started to fall off. The body hair that does fall off, at least. Um, breast growth hadn't started. Nothing had started. It was four months in, but my brain just felt right. I remember seeing some, a scientific paper had been published sometime in the last year, I think, saying that when they studied the brains of transgender children, they saw that the brain structure matched the child's preferred gender identity. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that makes total sense. There's a, um, there are parts of the brain that are gendered and they're not gendered based on like abilities or anything. Scientists actually don't even know why, but parts of the gray matter just look different in men and women. No clue why they're not parts of the brain that have any effect on stuff. They just are. And so, yeah, so they've done, there's a couple studies that they've done uh, there, there needs to be more studies because the sample sizes were small. Um, so it's still hypothesis and theory, not really confirmed yet, but seems to be getting that way. That yeah, a, tr- a a quote unquote trans brain is unique. It doesn't look like a cis brain, but it looks a whole lot more like the brain of the gender of the person. So my brain, if it were to be scanned in theory at least, um, if it's correct would look a whole lot more like your brain than it would a cis male brain. Even though there would still be differences between our brains in terms of what a cis female brain looks like, typically, um, it still resembles a cis female brain more than a cis male brain because I'm I'm a woman, even though I'm a trans woman. Yeah. Um, Which, when I learned that, just lent credibility to that feeling of my brain being powered by the right stuff, finally. Yeah. Then the physical changes started to happen slowly, and that was, thank God. Because <laughs> um, it is funny looking back at pictures of myself. After I've transitioned, started transitioning, started going by a new name, I'm just like, still look like a boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you arrived here today, we marked the fact that tomorrow is the anniversary of your boob job Mm -hmm. (laughs) or in other words, your top surgery. How did it affect your life? How did it affect your brain to finally have breasts? Um, my, I mean, my confidence skyrocketed, just skyrocketed. 
typically a trans woman can expect to get an A cup. Maybe, maybe a B cup if they're very lucky. I have from the hormones. From the hormones alone, yeah. I have. Uh, I've seen. I'm part of. I don't even I a thousand different trans groups at this point. Um, and I have seen trans women say that they have C cups naturally, just through the hormones alone. Very rare, though. Very, very rare. Um, and I am a larger girl. <laughs> I am six feet tall and broad-shouldered. And I, even if my body could have gotten to a B cup, I was not about to a wait that long and b just stick with a B cup. I wanted to look quote unquote proportional. You know, I wanted to have a certain silhouette. I wanted to be able to put on clothes and feel womanly, which is, a, again, one of those like, okay, if you're a cis woman and you have a double mastectomy because of cancer, are you any less of a woman? I mean, there's a whole thing that gets wrapped up in there. But for a trans woman that grows up without breasts, period, and never goes through any of that, yeah, there is something to be said about having tits. And so I knew right away as soon as I started transitioning, I knew the stages I'd be, I knew I was going to get bottom surgery. I knew I was going to get top surgery. I still don't know if I want any kind of facial surgeries. I go back and forth on that. Transitioning takes a long time. The typical timeline they give is usually five years from start to quote unquote finish. Once your body is finally settled, the hormones have done their thing. Nothing's going to be changing anymore. So it's a very long process, but this, I went to the hospital, I went to sleep, I woke up, I had tits. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, for wanting to transition and you want things to move fast and they can only move so fast, especially because you can take high levels of estrogen to make your transition go faster. You're also basically asking for a blood clot to travel into your brain and give you a stroke or your heart and give you a heart attack. Um, so you have to take a moderate amount of estrogen, which means that your transition is going to move at a moderate pace, but to have it be so instant and just wake up and look and go, Oh, I've got breasts now. You know, I can put on a bra. I was wearing bras with, um, fillers in them and, uh, to not have to, if I didn't want to wear a bra, and I just wanted to put on a shirt, especially until my hair started really growing out more. Like, if I just put on a shirt and a pair of jeans, I just look like a guy. Maybe slightly more feminine, but still like a guy. Now, if I just put on a t-shirt, I still look like a woman, whatever that means. Right? I still have a certain outline to my body that I didn't have before. So the next bit of medical wizardry was you had an orchiectomy. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are not going to know what that word means. So can you explain what it is? And also, has that changed your experience of sex or sexuality now that your your hormone producers have changed? Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't know what an orchiectomy was either. <laughs> um, an orchiectomy is the removal of testicles. And it's also a very simple procedure. Uh, it's, I don't even know if it's typical. I don't even know what the statistics are, but for a lot of trans women who get uh, full bottom surgery, which is a vaginoplasty and labiaplasty, um, the orchiectomy is kind of included in that procedure. I got it separately because a, I wanted to stop taking testosterone blockers and B, I wanted to do something else medically that would advance my transition. I have a consult for bottom surgery currently scheduled for May of 2020, which is a, a while from now. And it's the earliest you could possibly get. Yep. And I scheduled that in December of 2017. That's not right. No. Yeah. Uh, December of 2017 or January of 2018. Somewhere around there is when I scheduled this consult for May of 20 freaking 20. <laughs> and my confidence sexually skyrocketed because it was one more step that I look less like a boy. That when I take my pants off now, 
there's not these other things hanging around there. Um, and if I don't get hard, which I hate, then it's starting to look a lot more like a clit that's just there, not a vulva yet, but a clit. And then there's like this extra tissue that's just kind of there. Mm. Um, so it, it also made me just feel a lot more confident in being naked in front of other women. You just said that you hate getting hard. How often does that happen? It, it's a total crapshoot. It can happen a bunch of times repeatedly. When I first get horny is when it would happen. And even then, it's not fully hard. It's kind of a semi-erection. And if I can manage to essentially just get one orgasm out of the way quickly, <laughs> that which is again a thing also that changed in transitioning of I'd have one orgasm and then be done. And now it's no, I can have a few, uh, which oh, is interesting, lovely. <laughs> um, so if, once I get the first orgasm out of the way, the erection goes away, huh. and the the erectile tissue just kind of like reverts to its pre-programmed. Okay, we've had our our, our orgasm, we're done. And then the rest of my body goes, okay, you you rest. We're not done yet. <laughs> we still have a few more orgasms we'd like to have. Thanks. So what does orgasm look like for you now? Is there ejaculate still? Um, there's like this kind of clear-ish sticky fluid that comes out. And in the, even then, it's not a lot. From what I've read, it's a combination of something which I have now since forgotten, and prostatic fluid um, from my, at this point, likely very shrunk prostate. So there is still some that comes out more the first time than other like subsequent orgasms. They, orgasms are so much better now. Really? Oh, so much better. So much better. Uh, They tend to be more whole body. But yeah, orgasms just... Like, they feel better, and also they're not as draining. Because before, I'd have an orgasm, and my body would be done. Uh-huh. Sex would be over. And now I have an orgasm, like, that was great. Let's have some more, please. Mm. Yeah, orgasms are not the end of sex anymore. They're just... And they're not as necessary. I needed orgasms before. Sex felt incomplete if I did not have an orgasm. And now, nope. I can be just fine not having an orgasm. I can, or if they're great, I love them. Don't need them, which has changed too. With partners, it can take a long time, especially if they have no experience with trans women, because it's just they have to they have to learn how everything works too. Um, and because I'm still learning, and everyone is different, like I'm not only learning what works with for me, but what works for me with this particular person. So I think that's one other reason why I don't really care so much about orgasms anymore. Well, why they aren't as necessary because it can take a good amount of time. And I don't want to feel like I don't want this person to feel like to a to feel bad that they can't get me off, nor I don't want them to like focus on it because if it feels great for me, okay, great. But if they're just doing something to me, and we're not doing something to each other. Like, I want to pleasure them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm not orgasming. It's fine. Can, I, can we get to the part where I pleasure you too? <laughs> like, I'm, this is lovely, but I'd like to do things to you. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a moment ago what you like your genitalia to be called. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it has changed over time, during the time I've known you. Yes. Um, I went lady penis for a while. And then I saw somewhere online, someone said girl dick. And I was like, ooh, that just sounds better. I like girl dick. So I go back and forth between girl dick and clit in that in some aspects, it does still function as a dick in terms of like, A, I can pee standing up still, which is literally the only benefit that I enjoy <laughs> of having been born in this body. That I will miss. That's about it. <laughs> you know, it still kind of gets hard-ish at first. Um, but then it also functions a lot more like a clit in terms of like the shaft of it it just does nothing for me you know which makes sex complicated when 
I start having sex with someone who's never had sex with a trans woman before? Because even if they're bi or pan or polysexual or whatever word we're going to use to describe being attracted to more than one gender, Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't had sex with a trans woman, it's different. Because you might have experience with clits and vulvas, and you might have experience with penises. What I have isn't either, Mm -hmm. and it's also both. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like the glands, the head of the penis of of, uh, my girl dick is essentially functions very much like a clit and likes being stimulated like a clit. I have had like PIV, like penis and vagina sex once since transitioning in the last like five or six months with someone I felt very safe and comfortable with and was like, I'm really curious about this. Let's try it. And we did. And like, you know, there's nerve endings there. So it felt nice, but I didn't really like it all that much Mm. um, because it's just not how my body likes to be stimulated anymore. How do you like for your genitalia to be interacted with now? Um, And with the huge disclaimer that you are a single person you are not speaking for all trans women right yes this is this is all trans women enjoy this um so how well uh frequently and often uh definitely um with with great vigor uh so uh boy it's weird because i'm still figuring it out and it's also weird because i've had to relearn how to sex since medically transitioning and once I get my bottom surgery, I'm going to have to relearn how to sex all freaking over again. Uh, so I have to relearn how to... I had to learn how to sex three times in my life total by the time all is said and done. So okay. now I like my girl deck to be played with basically like a clit that's just really large. And so just like a lot of cis women enjoy mouths and tongues hanging around their clit, I do as well. There's just more of me to go in someone's mouth Mm -hmm. but i don't like oh what's the word for actually like up and down movement there's like a no word like thrusting yeah like so for instance i cannot receive a blowjob anymore i that's just that's not what it's called um it's not a blowjob because a blowjob on a penis is usually at least an up and down motion right you're you're stimulating and stroking the shaft with either hand or mouth as well as you know licking and paying attention to the glands that kind of movement doesn't feel pleasurable to me huh and especially if i'm not hard anymore doesn't you just physically can't um so i enjoy like mouths being on me but more like how you would go down on someone with a vulva than someone with a penis. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, Take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex, I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, 
I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you. Whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener, I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we finish up, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions we'd usually be too polite to ask any good girl. Do you have sex during a partner's period? Um, Yeah, I mean, if they're cool with it. Yeah, doesn't bother me at all. Have you ever felt a sexual urge that confused you? Yes. Dating someone who identified as non-binary but was on testosterone confused the fuck out of me. (laughs) Because until that point, I was calling myself a lesbian. And I still like that term. I like the gender identity part of that term. You know, more than just saying gay or queer. I'm definitely primarily attracted to, like, women and especially just, you know, very femi women. But this person, I was, they had masculine traits and my brain short-circuited and was like, I want to have sex with them. But what? (laughs) They're being powered by testosterone, but I want to have sex with them. Um, So it very confused me. And I'm still trying to figure out, am like some term that describes my sexuality as like from the middle of the binary all the way to the end, to the like extreme end of the female part of the binary. But I kind of lean over that middle part every so often. <laughs> Just like lean, kind of look, and like, hey, what's up? <laughs> so whatever the word that is, I think is what I am, but I'm still kind of trying to figure out what the hell that is. Would you be interested in interacting sexually with somebody who has a penis if they seem like they are, like if they are powered by estrogen, for instance? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, so I have, funny enough, yet to have sex with another trans woman. Um, Just hasn't, I haven't met anyone that I've like felt chemistry or clicked with. But yeah, if I met another trans woman who was powered by estrogen, and you know, didn't have any bottom surgery or anything yet, I'd be totally cool with it. The thing I asked myself is, what if they were trans, but not powered by estrogen? Mm-hmm. for whatever reason, their gender identity is still totally valid, but am I attracted to them? And if I'm not attracted to them, then what does that say about women not being attracted to me? And can I have any judgment on them? And it's a, a whole freaking can of worms Yeah. Um, that I still haven't answered yet. And also trying to figure out if it's just internalized transphobia. Because mm-hmm. fuck society. <laughs> what kind of touch do you enjoy the most? Another good question, because I tend to like everything. I guess the kind of touch would be alternating touch, because mm, I love fun. really soft, tender, sensual touch that's very light. Um, but I also love really rough, hard, scratching, leaving marks, being thrown about kind of touch. What I don't like is too much of either. Fascinating. So I, my favorite kind of touch would be both in balance, essentially. Yeah. Are there sexual things you've tried that you never want to do again? So at least until it's a moot point in my bottom surgery, penetrative sex where I am penetrating somebody with me, tried it, 
did it for a lot of years in my boy days or the before times, as I like to call them, uh, never want to do again. Though I do very much want to penetrate someone with a strap on. That's such an interesting distinction. That would be super feminine. I I do have interest in trying that. Who knows if that'll trigger my dysphoria or not, but I do want to try that. But yeah, essentially using my girl dick for anything penetrative, for anything resembling treating it like a penis, never again. How often do you masturbate? Far, far less than I ever used to. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you would like to share? Just reiterating that for a lot of trans people, sex is, especially for those of us who are more on the hypersexual side of the spectrum as opposed to asexual, sex is really, really freaking complicated because we're still learning how our own bodies react to things. We have to relearn. We're going through puberty again. Mm. And so just like puberty the first time, you have to learn how to have sex, except you're, for a lot of us, we're adults. And so it seems weird because we've been having sex for a good chunk of our lives. So what do you mean I have to relearn how to have sex? You know, once you have bottom surgery to a certain extent, you're like, okay, I at least like these parts are now standard. (laughs) Like they're standard issue parts. I can at least, I still have to learn again, but It's really confusing and complicated because there are things that used to feel good that don't, things that do feel good that never did, things that, yeah, when I'm horny and I'm super attracted to you and we're naked and it's great and I'm get hard, you might be like, oh, this person is attracted to me, but I feel like shit. Mm. So A, for any cis people out there who have sex with trans people to be patient and have patience. And for other trans people who are out there who might be listening too, that like, it is tough, but all of the best sex in my life, it's all been since transition and all been with people who have never had sex with trans people before, Mm. but were open to learning and did a great job. (laughs) And so even with all the complications, and with all the the stuff around my genitalia and my gender and sex, I mean, my orgasms that I have are better than they ever were. Sex feels better than they ever did than it ever did. The confidence in my own body and being naked around other people, around groups of women, better than it ever was. So even with all of that, still now that I'm finally living is me, like sex is something that's great again and that I can enjoy and like revel in. I'm so happy to hear that. And um, I want to say thank you for being here. But even more than that, I want to say thank you for being my friend and for being such a wonderfully open, loving person. And I love you. Oh, thank you. And thank you for being my friend. And I love you too. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at goodgirlstalk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, 
call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>